0: This is Daniel Fagella. You're listening to the AI and Business Podcast, where non-technical leaders go to stay ahead of the AI curve. If you want to advance your career or business, but you don't want to learn how to code, then you've come to the right place. And this is our series on AI success factors. Every Monday, we cover one specific enterprise AI project that was a success. We talk about what was the problem, what was the success measurement, what was the impact and what made it a success. And today, we're talking about an example at a rather large organization. In our recent week-long series on AI ROI, we had a fantastic guest by the name of Gopalan Opilyapin, who is the head of the AI Center of Excellence for Intel. He shared some fantastic framework thinking about making decisions about AI projects that will lead to more successful projects. If you have not yet listened to that episode or indeed that entire series, I would definitely recommend going back and tuning in. The entire week, Monday through Friday, March 14th through March 18th, we publish one episode a day with five great guests covering AI ROI, and I would certainly recommend tuning in. But in this episode, Gopalan dives in on how he puts those frameworks in action, and we talk about a specific AI success story in one of the most complicated parts of Intel's operation, which is how they manage their inventory. This is a company that makes a lot of things, and they happen to be very complicated things. They are a hardware company, after all, and so they're dealing with a lot of complex parts and a lot of different suppliers. Similar to some of the previous episodes we've talked about in AI success factors, you will hear some great insights about crawl, walk, run. Better than hearing from it in a metaphorical sense, you'll see how Gopalin put that idea into practical value. Also, you'll hear Gopalin's advice for how they came up with the way to measurably determine the impact of this application. And in this case, it had to do in part with selling some of their inventory back to the original vendor. And so, being able to factor that into the financial model to make the business case is also a powerful insight from this episode. So, in terms of a real example of crawl, walk, run, a real positive financial impact, and some great strategy about measuring and determining financial impact in a way that you can really show to leadership, this is a shining episode and one that I'm happy to be able to bring to you. So without further ado, this is our AI Success Factors episode with Gopalin of Intel here on the AI and Business podcast. So Gopalin, we're focused here on AI Success Factors, and I want to open up with the particular project that you want to speak about. I know this is one that you're proud of. Talk to us a little bit about what we're focusing on today.
1: Sure, Dan. happy to be this podcast. Um, uh, yeah, thank you very much for inviting me. So one of the projects that I you know wanted to talk about is um, a very interesting work that we did with um, our supply chain partners in Intel. If you look at overall, if you look at the way intel manufactures uh, semiconductors it's a uh, it's a massive capital investment uh, that we do in bringing up these uh, fabs all over the globe at this point and uh, they are you know capital intensive projects so when we engaged with this uh, specific area which is around optimizing the spare parts uh, for our factories what we realized uh, was uh, the classical supply chain problem which is there were situations, there were issues where the spare parts were not adequate to meet the factory demand. And there were uh, situations uh, and factories where we had excess spare parts than what the specific factory needed. So you can clearly see that there is a demand supply mismatch that was happening. And um, wherever there was an excess, we were running into excess spare parts, we had to write off those inventories because um, they were not consumed at the, in the time frame in which they, they, were supposed to be consumed. So you fundamentally will have to you know, write off those um, spare parts. So, you know, essentially it becomes obsolete, you know, you yeah. don't really need it. Also, you know, the factors that trigger obsolescence in a factory is typically you will see, you know, Intel, keep, uh, Intel keeps pushing the process nodes in which it manufactures, you know, we as we pursue the Moore's law aggressively. So what has happened here is the spare parts and the, uh, that we purchased for the tools that are meant for a specific process node, uh, we would have moved to a new node. So the spare parts, you know, uh, not in all cases, but some of the cases, the spare parts become obsolete. Hence, we have to write it off. So we call this as uh, you know, in classical, you know, in Intel terms, uh, we call uh, this opportunity as can we sell this even before these parts become dead. So that's the program was called "Sell Before Dead." All right. So, uh, uh, yeah. So that's the way we, you know, kind of uh, structured or looked at this program, and then said, "Okay, now if this is the opportunity, if this is the business opportunity, how can AI help here? Or can we, you know, even simplify this problem and look at? Can we even start with some uh, simpler machine learning techniques or prediction techniques, which will help our factory managers?" Awesome to predict whether a set of spare parts or a particular spare part, when will it become obsolete? If so, what are the decisions that they need to take today so that they can prevent either it becoming obsolete or take corrective business actions like sell it back to the vendor? so that you can extract some salvage value, which will be slightly less than your procurement value. But at least, um, you know, you are um, not writing off the inventory, but you are extracting some salvage value.
0: Okay, got it. If you don't mind, I'd love to unpack the use case a little bit for the listeners, and then we'll talk a little bit about the results here. Because So clearly, I mean, you folks are producing, Lord knows how many chips and, and finished goods in a given year. As you mentioned, if you order too many parts, then we're sitting on them there's a part of me that would think, okay, it's maybe less than ideal to have a lot of parts on the shelf. And I would assume maybe they would just be used later on. But is it safe to say that some of these parts are made for a specific bespoke project, and we'll just never get any use out of them after that? Is, is, that, is that the case? Or will they, some of them be valuable later on? Or That's the, exactly what we were trying
1: to predict, right? You're trying to understand the consumption pattern the historical consumption pattern of the parts so you will have a good idea of how it will be consumed in the future
0: that's the prediction part i will cover in a, in the subsequent uh, got it got questions. it okay so yeah so subject, we can we yeah. can get right into that then you know talk about how you made the predictions work we're going to talk about the results in a minute but i can imagine there's so many features and factors to decide how many of these parts are we going to use when are they going to go dead or or what have you there um okay, lots right, of right. lots of considerations yeah how did you what were the factors you had to pull together to make these predictions meaningful?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So the way we approach this uh, opportunity is a very, I would call it as a frugal engineering approach. So the first and foremost um, thing that we did in this program was we didn't even really get into machine learning for, you know, base predictions. All we uh, went ahead and looked at was just, you know, plot the consumption pattern, you know? I call this as dating the data, right? Sure, (laughs) sure. Just plot the, and let the data speak to us, you know? Yes, See what the data is. And then, you know, we looked at it from a statistical perspective, first and foremost is, can we model them, are these consumptions as any, do they come closer to any of the statistical distributions, you know? is it like a binomial or is it a poisson is it a log normal you know we had about um, eight or nine distributions uh, in mind and then we uh, we looked at these data the actual consumption data and then figured out to which of these distributions these are coming closer you know uh, you have statistical techniques like a chi square fit you can do to really see to which distribution they exactly map to, or the closest distribution they map to. Now, after having done this, what happens is I have modeled the reality to a fairly an approximate model. You know, using these distributions. Now, once I get an idea of the distribution to which I can map these consumption patterns, now I have the ability to predict with 90% confidence or 95% confidence interval. Now. Having obtained this, we placed the data, we offered the data to our factory managers at the nasam what will be your comfort level? You know, would you like to have a 90% or a 95% safety yeah. in your prediction? This is the first step. So that is you know, very, very you know, simple approach that we took, which essentially made them comfortable uh, no fancy feature engineering or anything, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. A simple statistic level. I'll tell you how we improvise this further. Sure, sure. But this was the very first step that we did. Hey,
0: crawl, then, crawl walk, run, right? I mean, there's nothing wrong exactly. with that. You know, you don't want to make exactly. assumptions using the biggest uh, deep net you can before you know what the heck it looks <laughs> like. So, okay, so we're starting with the simplest visualization, the simplest statistical breakdown as our step one. So go ahead, keep going. Yeah, so once we
1: got this, Then, you know, what we did was we got a decent level of prediction accuracy in the sense um, from writing off, um, you know, huge amount of uh, money, we got into a place where we were able to make uh, close to about 70% prediction accuracy we were able to get. And that's where, you know, we realized that we are onto something that is very interesting because we saw some tangible value coming out of this program, right? We were um, able to, you know, uh, uh, salvage. You know, uh, the parts that are going to become obsolete and uh, from a completely, you know, writing of situation to, uh, you know, seeing progress in the direction where we were able to salvage while at the same time, you know, factory managers being comfortable and confident about their factory lines not going down because they just you know uh, returned some spare parts for which yeah. they suddenly saw some consumption right so it's a, it's an elegant trade off that you need to achieve that's what you know this um, uh, approach enabled us to look at you know we started off on a journey now what we then did was using this statistical techniques we fundamentally you know started taking our first steps towards labeling the data essentially what we started doing was can we now classify now having gotten the distribution of uh, the consumption pattern, can we now ask or take our factory manager's help to classify the data to say, which are at high risk, which are at medium risk, and which are the ones that are at low risk of becoming obsolete? you know? So essentially, now you see that we are gradually stepping into the machine learning paradigm, right? Um, So it's a, you know, it's essentially a three class classifier of classifying the parts into high risk, medium risk, and low risk. And uh, this is important for a supervised learning paradigm because we need label data. Yeah. Now using, yeah. yeah. So using statistical distribution and with the help of our factory planners, we were able to start classifying these you know, basing based on their business judgment to classify them as uh, applying this uh, confidence intervals to apply and then see which are at high risk, which are at medium risk, and which are at and we could automate this because you have a distribution which supports your business decision. And we were able the beauty was we started labeling the data. And once we once we got this uh, label data we said, hey, these are the parts that are at high risk and these are the ones that are at medium risk and these are the ones that are at low risk we then uh, embarked on the first step of machine learning, right? which is um, applying some of the prediction algorithms, especially the classifiers like a decision tree to really see, uh, see whether we can improve the accuracy now. After having gotten the label data, we then embarked on the next step of applying a decision tree algorithm to see how we can improve. Yes, we could extract additional accuracy out of this. right? From from around, you know, uh, 68, 70 percent, we got a bump up to 81 percent using decision trees and uh, techniques. So that's so. Sorry, You had a question.
0: Yeah, sure, sure. So this is OK. So, you you, know, you, you saw some tangible returns with uh, crawling and walking. Then you started running with a little bit of machine learning here. You know, this 81 percent, just to be clear, this is 81 percent in determining which of these or being able to predict the parts that would potentially be dead? Or, or what specifically are we um, tracking at exactly. that? Exactly. Yeah, okay. yeah.
1: Fundamentally, okay.
0: yeah. You have three classes, right?
1: Uh, the high risk, medium risk, and low risk. Yep. Uh, you have the labeled data and you have uh, the predicted data. Now you do the comparison of accuracies on all these three classes to see how accurate the algorithm is versus reality. Okay, cool, cool.
0: And so you're able to get this, this much higher threshold. Does this in terms of what this informs, we'll talk to the, about the success factors in a second, but I'm trying to translate that 81% into where that hit the bottom line for you guys. My guess is this would let us know maybe what to order more or less of, or um, so, so maybe it's safe to overstock on these things, and maybe we should be much more conservative here. How did this turn into decisions that could help the company? Exactly.
1: This is where I call, you know, analytics is no more an afterthought, right? Analytics can drive the business process itself. So the beauty here is once we got a handle of how which parts belong to what kind of you know how the consumption patterns of these bad parts are, we then looked at can we now improve our contract contractual processes itself with our supply chain partners? Uh, Can we bake in the salvage value clause in the contract itself? Now. Because now you mm. have the data to say that, hey, in 30 days, if I return, this is the salvage value I would expect from you. If I return in 60 days, this is the salvage value I would expect from you. So we started you know, now tweaking the business process itself based on the insight we got from analytics.
0: Got it. Okay. Okay. So maybe what to buy what not to buy based on these these risk level and predicting what's going to become dead inventory and also you can use that to backwards negotiate with all of your vendors and make sure given the risk level of these things if we're going to work with you mr supplier this is what we would expect just given our own fluctuations in risk Uh, exactly so typically what happens is the the Ability to take risk in my
1: in my procurement, right? Even that increases because I have I know I can extract a salvage value. Yes. also. so it motivates. You know, it's fundamentally a win-win arrangement. Even the supplier is happy that you know. Yes, you know, uh, though consumption will increase because. Uh, because it gives additional cushion yeah. and always the, you know, the the consumer or the factory managers here know that they have an option to exercise, which is fundamentally to return yep. with some salvage value. Right? Okay. So it's a beautiful supply chain arrangement where the vendor also has, you know, is expected to gain an additional delta in terms of increased procurement volumes and the factory managers have the comfort backed by, uh, you know, yeah. machine learning techniques to know, you know, they have the uh, salvage as
0: an option in case they run into excess. Got it. Okay, cool, cool. Yeah, this makes a lot of sense. So you can have a little bit more confidence to not have to play it too conservative because you know you have that cushion if you need it. So makes a lot of yeah. sense. We've got our procurement activities. We've got our procurement negotiation, all of which can be reformed and in fine because it sounds as though I don't know what your accuracy ratio was before you even had the BI application, but you were able to get it up to, to 81 by leveraging BI and then ML. Um, yeah. Uh, so it's a progressive yeah, journey, as I told you. Sure, 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 yeah,
1: It's yeah. simple statistical distribution and then intermission. Yep.
0: And that's yeah. a very common case here with the success factor series. is folks took the the crawl, walk, run uh, approach, it's very hard to go from nothing to jet fuel when we don't understand the problem in the data sets as of yet. So because of that, I know we're a little bit up on time here, but I want to get down to kind of the success factors. So many things go into complicated AI projects. And of course, there's many things that would have led to the, the success of this solution, the fact that you can openly publish it and talk about these great results. If you were to boil it down to one transferable lesson that other enterprises could learn from that made this one work, what would that be? I would say start
1: small, you know, as you rightly said in the beginning right don't get carried away by these, you know big accomplishments or big successes that are talked about right hey i use the deep neural net or a transformer to get these results uh, i think um, you need to first um, the basic and simple technique is look at the data eyeball the data and then start with what is the reality, right? Do you have label data? Because everybody says, I have data. As an as a AI practitioner, what I have seen is there is not much of label data. So, first and foremost, is look for data and look for label data. I will double click that specifically. <laughs> Once you, you know, and then make an assessment. In my case, in this case of factory sparks, spare parts optimization, there was no label data. Then we thought about this approach of can we how do we generate label data at the same time giving value to the business? That's how the statistical distribution approach helped us. Uh, it actually served two purposes. One was I was able to generate label data out of this, and then at the same time started giving some feedback to the business on this is how the reality is. You know there are going to be spat parts which beyond certain time frame are going to become obsolete, what is the decision you want to take about that? So that's what I would say. Start small, look for label data. If not, think about some frugal engineering approach to
0: generate label data and then embark on a machine manager. I I like it a lot. Engage in frugal engineering approaches is probably sage advice for AI projects for everybody listened in. (laughs) Gopalan, thank you again so much for being able to join us. It's been a great episode. Thanks for being here. So that's all for this episode of the AI and Business Podcast. Hopefully, you've enjoyed this one. Again, every Monday, we're doing an espresso shot of AI success factors, 10 to 15-minute episodes. Some of them have spun a little bit longer, but we're not letting them go anywhere near 20 minutes. I know sometimes they can run on a bit, but we're intentionally keeping them short, and we're intentionally keeping them industry agnostic. The goal is lessons learned no matter what sector you're in, and I hope no matter what sector you are in, dear listener, uh, that you've been able to benefit from this episode and learn a thing or two from some of Gopalin's practical advice. I certainly like the fact that we've now had a few different examples from Amazon, from a leader at Deloitte, and now from Intel all talking about what it looks like to start small and build momentum. This is a theme here, and it's something that I think our listeners can really benefit from. So hopefully you enjoyed today's episode. We do have an episode tomorrow. Again, we always cover AI use cases and trends on Tuesdays. And on Mondays, we cover AI success factors. So stay tuned for tomorrow when we get back to use cases and trends. We're going to be talking about enterprise data fabrics tomorrow, and it's not an episode you're going to want to miss. So stay tuned, and I look forward to catching you in the next one. Thanks so much.